once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 298 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Available for download or streaming on Monday, December 12th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. All right, Tony, why don't we jump right in and tell us what we have this week. This week, we're checking out the latest developments in Star Trek Discovery, looking forward to Star Trek IV, the JJ version, and looking back at Star Trek VI, the Undiscovered Country. In Stone News, we're looking at who might be the next Trek star to join the voiceover cast of Star Trek Online, and we're finding out all about the special events going on this month in-game. Later, we've got a special interview with Dayton Ward and Nathan Dowdell from the new tabletop RPG Star Trek Adventures. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies and find out your incoming messages. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Now, this is the part of intro where we thank our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Because it really is our patrons, people just like you, who help pay for our servers, our equipment and software, and also help us get to conventions and bring you back exclusive coverage, like our recent interview with J.G. Hertzler at the Northeast TrekCon. We here at Priority One are really lucky to have a fantastic team of people who work together to bring you this show. Our audio team, artists, writers, and our hosts all give up our time because we love bringing you the best Star Trek content. But we can't do it without your support. Our listeners, you, you keep us on the air. And you can do that by supporting us through Patreon, where you can contribute anything from just a dollar a month on up. To find out more and add your support, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. That's one, the word. Again, Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash priority one. And of course, we also want to thank all of our existing patrons for their monthly support. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. If you aren't careful, some Star Trek news could slip through the cracks. For instance, did you know that For the Love of Spock, the documentary about the life and times of Leonard Nimoy and his character of Spock, directed by his son, Adam Nimoy, is now on Netflix in the U.S. and the U.K.? Come to think of it, we should plan for a viewing party with our patrons via the showgoers Chrome extension. Don't you think, Yes, we should. Yes, yes, we should. It's very good. Actually, I have to say, um, guess where I watched For the Love of Spock? In Vegas? No, I didn't watch it in Vegas. You're not going to guess, are you? I actually watched it on the plane ride between London and Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it was on the plane. Um, and actually, quite a few people were watching it, I noticed, as I was, you know, walking up and down the aisles. Um, I was really impressed. I, did, I was like, what's it doing on a plane? But it was, it was good, and actually, it was a good way to pass the time. So I was surprised it was there, but it was very good. Another Trek-related film due to release on Tuesday, December 13th, the day after this episode airs. It's called The Roddenberry Vault, a Blu-ray filled with never-before-seen interviews, footage, and other behind-the-scenes Trek nuggets, hashtag Trek sauce, from the original (laughs) series. Are we going with that? Hashtag Trek sauce. Is that what we're going with? I think so. So have either of you pre-ordered it? It's actually on my Christmas wish list. Okay. But yeah, it definitely is. And uh, you know, the reason that I really want to see it is because I saw, um, I saw previews of it in Vegas, and I saw more previews of it at Destination Star Trek um, in in Birmingham, in England, uh, when I went to see that. Um, and it it actually looks really well produced, totally watchable, and some really interesting stuff that they found. So I I do I do quite watch it, but it's it's on my wish list for Christmas. I kind of have to be arm wrestled into watching documentaries. Really? Even yeah. about Star Trek? Yeah. D- documentaries, period. 
No, but it's not. Um, I don't know if you saw any of the talks. So it's Mike and Denise Okuda who have done a lot of this, the work for uh, the Roddenberry Vault, and um, it's not. It's not so much a documentary as it is. It's put together all of this sort of extra, extra footage. Yeah. yeah, it's stuff that Gene Roddenberry literally just kind of picked up off the cutting room floor and then kept. It's. It was not in any way sort of archived. It was just sort of stuck in a closet, basically. Right. And they have some, you know, uh, interesting, like, alternative takes that were just cut or just, you know, bits, you know, stuff that, you know, stuff that, like, doesn't even make it into bloopers for Priority One, that kind of stuff. Wow, but that's is bad, nonetheless, huh? <laughs> No, but it's nonetheless <laughs> gives you a really interesting insight into what was going on behind the scenes. Um, so some of, the, some of the footage that they showed was just, just really interesting. You get to see Leonard Nimoy not just as Spock, but as Leonard Nimoy, the actor, doing his, like, proper acting thing. So what you're describing to me, what you're describing to me is a series of uh, YouTube clips that I could watch individually. Yeah. Oh, come on, Tony. Don't knock it. Uh, no, don't be so negative I'm about it. I'm not negative. I, I just don't like I'm, documentaries. It's just, I just don't think. No, I'm really looking forward to this. All right, you know okay. why? I think that this is, this is going to be a really nice addition to mm-hmm. getting to know Star Trek, right? This is, like, we have These Are the Voyages by Mark Cushman, like that's a really good companion book if you're rewatching the original series, um, mm-hmm. and I think that this is going to be a really nice companion to watching the original series as well. I, you know, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, Ken, this is a lot of footage we've never seen, interviews that we've never heard. Uh, I'm, I don't know. There, there's something about the 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 making of type of thing that I really enjoy. Yeah. But that's because you're a producer as well. It's that whole getting getting to see a, a view of how they actually put things together. And it's not it was foot, footage that probably wasn't even good enough to keep as a quote-unquote behind the scenes. But if you're somebody who's like into production and wants to learn more about how they actually made it, um, that's the kind of person that's gonna, that this is going to interest, right. I, I think. For the record, I had to tell Tony not to be negative. That's well, that. yeah. Write that down, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. So, captains, if you're interested in watching some Trek with us via Netflix, you're going to want to check out our Patreon page over at patreon.com forward slash priority one for more information about how you can participate. In celebration of the 25th anniversary of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, Nicholas Meyer sat down with IGN to reflect on the film after all these years. Meyer, who directed the film and is also slated to work on the next incarnation of Star Trek, Discovery, says in the interview that some aspects of the film now make him wince. For instance, it is clear that the film is a commentary of that decade's political climate, the Cold War with the USSR. So when he watches the scene when Spock mind melds with Valeris, Meyer says it, quote, sort of looks like waterboarding to me and doesn't make me very happy to see it, end quote but that at the time, it had never even occurred to them. When asked about the impact Brian Fuller's departure has had on Discovery, which we'll discuss more in just a second, Meyer explained, quote, Well, it represented a big change, and it certainly slowed down the process. Whether one thinks this is good, bad, or indifferent, that I can't discuss, end quote. Catch the entire interview over at IGN. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. You know, I never... Undiscovered Country is definitely one of my favorites, right? So, and, and Tony, you and I kind of had this quick discussion yeah. last week at some point where it's, you know, it's... Two or three for me. Wrath of Number Khan. Two or yeah. Yeah, Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. First Contact, and Undiscovered Country kind of being uh, top three. Some of them are interchangeable. I kind of want to watch it again and see if I can pick up on these these little things because mm-hmm. that scene where he mind melds with her, that is, that's, that's a torture sh- scene. Yeah, no two ways He's, about that. He, He's getting information. He's forcefully getting information out of her using a Vulcan mind meld. But, you know, as Trekkies, we're like, oh, he's using a Vulcan mind meld. That's so cool. Yeah. But that's waterboarding. That's torture. I never thought of it that way. I never looked at it through those 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 mm-hmm. lenses. So after after reading that little bit, I kind of want to rewatch it again and see if I can pick up on anything else. Yeah. So when that scene first came out, it was somewhat controversial because, in fact, it, it did kind of depict torture. But Nicholas Myers has always done this with these characters. There's, I remember... Uh, an interview, one of these YouTube clips, you know, I'm complaining about, uh, uh, with Shatner, and uh, it was the whole uh, let them die line in Star Trek Six, and Shatner's like, Kirk would never say that. Oh my, he's such a, well, that's just intolerable. And uh, he said, and so he said, I'm going to put a little head shake like, oh, never mind, at the end of it. 
And then Nick Meyer went, yeah, okay, that's good, do that. And then he just cut the head shake. So he got the line he wanted, and then Kirk went, no, 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 never mind. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that out loud. But Meyer just went, and cut. <laughs> so that, that head shake never made it into the, to the print, and, and Meyer got the line he wanted. And it, again, it maybe mm. was a little out of character for Kirk, maybe, but it pushed, right? Yeah. And so Spock got pushed, too. And I think that that's, that is Meyer's signature move with these characters. Mm. They do go, they do color outside the lines a little bit. Yeah. Speaking of Trek films, could it be that Simon Pegg and Doug Young are already hard at work writing the fourth installment of the Kelvin Timeline films? Now, several months ago, we had reported that a plot idea had been thrown about that involved Kirk's daddy, uh, or how or in what capacity, we don't know. Anywho, on December 6th, Simon Pegg posted a Twitter picture of himself beside co-writer Doug Young behind a bad robot statuette and their laptops. Could it be that they've begun working on Star Trek 4? Or maybe they're just listening to part of the podcast and reading the comment section. The world may never know. I think that they're listening to Priority One Podcast. Oh, defo. That's what I think. In other more disappointing Star Trek development news, it seems that Brian Fuller is completely off of Star Trek Discovery. In an interview with Newsweek posted on December 2nd, Brian Fuller talks about the bittersweet exit from the upcoming series. Fuller explains, quote, Ultimately, with my responsibilities elsewhere, I could not do what CBS needed to have done in the time they needed it done for Star Trek, end quote. He goes on to explain that, quote, I'm not involved in production or post-production, so I can only give them the material I've given them and hope that it's helpful for them. I'm curious to see what they do with it, end quote. MoviePilot.com contributor Eleanor Tremere does a very good job at summarizing what's been happening with Star Trek Discovery in a mild op-ed. Ultimately, the fear is that CBS is already self-sabotaging the new series to their own naivete. Yeah, so I'm super disappointed by this. I mean, I, honestly... Part? Which part? The, the part about that Brian Fuller is, like, out. Like, totally out. And to be fair, I think... I think we kind of all knew it and didn't want to admit it to ourselves because as soon as he said he wasn't showrunner anymore and we were all like, oh, it's fine. He's still an executive producer and he'll, he's, you know, he's still got a finger in it and it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should have known really that it wasn't that, that that wasn't the case. Yeah, it's a bit sad. We were all really excited for Brian Fuller to, to really be hands-on in there. But here's what happened though, right? He backs away. There, mm-hmm. We have a, a, a series of tweets then there's an official statement from CBS saying that he's going to stay on as executive producer. And then yeah. we have this Newsweek article that where he describes himself as being completely off of the project. Mm. So the executive producer title is really just a credit. That's all yeah. they're giving him is a yeah, credit. Yeah. Because he wrote the first two episodes and the story arc for the first season. And it's really disappointing. Yeah. When you look at it, when you step back a moment and you look at what's been happening over the last several weeks, months... I don't. I don't know what. I it it, it it's disappointing. It it really is disappointing. And then on you know. For, hey, you know what? You know what? You know what? Let me just stop. Well, I should. Don't be so negative. <laughs> gotcha. So my turn. No, my t- don't be so negative. Nick Meyer, done. Hmm. Okay. I mean, there. I there. Uh, when he quits, then we're doomed. Okay. Then I'll let you talk of doom uh, at that point. But that guy helmed two of the the top three Trek movies of all time. He knows the material. He knows the characters. He gets the spirit of the thing. He's there. He's in the head of the writer's room. Uh, he's talked to big shots and executives before. He know, he can speak their language and, and, and work around them if he has to. Mm-hmm. It, it, as long as he's there, I think it's going to be okay. And, I th- and even if he's not the showrunner, you know that the people that are the showrunners are probably going... Nick, can I talk to you for a second? And I, just, 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 I got a question. Just, just, just bounce some things off you, you know, and and getting that sort of that 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 sort of input. Meyer may not get those the big shot credits, but as long as he's still there, I think we're gonna be okay. Doesn't it make you nervous <laughs> saying something like that? Who me? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, going. Oh yeah, as long as that one guy is I there, it'll be fine. I, I, Doesn't that make you nervous saying that? If it were not Nick Meyer. I would be more nervous. Nick Meyer. I mean, I think they're... <laughs> I think their um, marketing department has got an uphill battle because at the moment, at least for Star Trek fans, we now need convincing that everything's fine. 
<laughs> and um, it's, you know, in retail, we talk about you want to leave as few barriers between a, a customer and the purchase as possible. Um, and at the moment, there's so many doubts that when I lay out my $9.99 a month that I'm not going to get something that's worth it, that it's just going to make me think, oh, do I really want to? And that's one thing you never want your customer to think. Do I really want to buy that? Um, so they've got a job now. Okay, they've got six months um, to, to convince us that everything's on track and everything's great and everybody loves it. Um, that concerns me too, right? We're six months to debut. Six yeah. months, right? And we're just now getting secondary character announcements, yeah. right? Six months before a show, we should be seeing leaks from the set, right? We should be seeing post-production yeah. kind of blah or, or production blogs and things like that. Six months for the first episode, and we're just now here. Hey, look, man, hey, I'm Elijah, scared. Okay, okay, okay. It's getting to the point. Look, it's getting to the point where I'm, I'm seriously. Never mind. Here Elijah, right. Elijah, Nick Meyer. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Nick Meyer. Well, Captains, that leads us to this week's community question. What do you think about Brian Fuller's full, complete departure from Star Trek Discovery? Are you still on board to subscribe to CBS All Access come May when the show debuts? Let us know your thoughts by commenting on this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO298 or on Facebook or Twitter. Last week, we also reported the announcement of the confirmed casting choices for some of the roles in Star Trek Discovery. In an interview with IGN Africa, executive producer Alex Kurtzman commented on the casting choices. With respect to Michelle Yeoh's casting as Captain George Yu, Kurtzman said, quote, I think that Michelle gets to play a part that has so many dimensions to it and is so perfect for where we want to go over the course of the season and maybe even beyond, end quote. Of Doug Jones, he described him as, quote, one of the greatest. What he did in Pan's Labyrinth has embedded itself in my mind forever. What you want to do when you're creating a creature of some kind is cast an actor who has the ability to pull off the bulk of it in a practical way, and that requires a real understanding of movement, end quote. So he, he also talks about Rap playing Lieutenant Stamets, um, but his description of it is very much like, yeah, rap is a good actor. Um, it's going to be great. Um, what what I particularly <laughs> liked about his comments was what I was talking about last week with um, with Doug Jones, right? The, his ability to morph into this creature that can only be described on page, yet he brings it to life. Right. So uh, that, that's the that's the point that I I that I pulled away from most in reading this article was that I think we're going to see a, an alien species that we've never seen the likes of before, mm -hmm. not in the films and not, and certainly not in the TV series. You know, like I mentioned that Raptor from, from the, from the destiny series, yeah. I think we're going to see something really impressive. Uh, don't you think it's just going to be a big gimmick though? Like, okay. I totally get it. It sounds really exciting. And especially the, where he said it, that it, that um, it requires a real understanding of movement. That's fascinating to me. But if we have this like crazy creature that's like all weird and stuff, like how how many episodes before that gets old? Now, if they if that's a if the fact that he's some weird creature is actually pivotal to the action and what's going on, now that could be really interesting. But if if he's just like a dude, like you were talking about the raptor doctor or whatever it is, and what series we were talking about last week. Um, so he's just like a dude, you know, that sits at a console, but he's like this weird creature. Like how long before we go, okay, yeah, all right, he's a guy, you know? I think that Doug Jones as an actor so far has been really selective in the, in the, the films that he's been doing, right? Pan's Labyrinth is a beautiful film, and he brought those characters to life. Same with Hellboy, the character he played in Hellboy. Uh, they, they were not one-dimensional characters, Right, yeah. so I I'm not I'm not concerned by that. I'm not concerned okay. that it's going to get boring quick. I think that as an actor, clearly he's proven himself to be able to take these characters off of the page and bring them to life. So much so that as the actor, he can kind of pick and choose and be like, you know what? Mm. Nah, this this script kind of sucks. I don't want to do it. 
I'm gonna wait for Hellboy 20. However many Hellboys there are. Now, I need to mention that uh, one of our listeners in the chat, Cheese of Borg, has just mentioned, what if it's like Odo? And that, that's kind of what I'm talking about. If, if, if he's some kind of crazy thing, and whatever crazy thing he is ends up being uh, a factor that they use as part of the plot or part of the storyline, then that I totally get. Otherwise, it, it's just kind of annoying if they're making this big deal about this big actor and all the weird stuff, and then he's just, you know, um, you know, the helmsman. All right, so that brings up a really good point, okay? I'm going to diverge a little bit about that because here's something else that I don't think Star Trek Discovery can afford to do, which is have a wishy-washy first season, second season, or third season. Because let's face it, The Next Generation, Voyager, and Deep Space Nine, oh, and Enterprise, all had a very weak first few seasons. Yep. Episode, like, not even episodes, but entire story arcs, entire season arcs that were like, what is this? And didn't find its legs until season four, five, or six. The Odo plot didn't happen until what? Season three, season four, the Dominion War? I mean, what? that was was pretty... I, What's pretty deep? You got to give them the first two seasons to figure out what they're doing, and that's no, that's not in today's television. Uh, well, I agree. Yeah, I'm that's what I was about you. to say. Not, you no, cannot. They can't a, afford it. They can't afford they it. They cannot yeah. afford that. They cannot yeah. afford it when you're up against shows like Breaking Bad, The Walking Dead, anything else that AMC publishes. Let's not forget what Netflix has been doing. These are shows that 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 just burn the road the moment the flag hits the ground. Right. And, and all those previous incarnations, all you were doing was asking your audiences to spend the time. Don't right. watch those other shows' channels. Watch this show's channels and let us sell ads in the meantime. Right. All we want is right. your time and your eyeballs. Now they want six bucks a month. They don't have two seasons mm-hmm. to find their legs. They the, do the, not. They, this, the character better better pull his weight. Uh, you know, the, the story better pull its weight. And uh, unfortunately, Mr. Rap better be more than just good. You know, I mean, all right. of them are going to have right. to be, you know, they're going to have to watch uh, some Breaking Bad and go, I got to shoot for that. I got to shoot for Brian Cranston levels of good. That's where I got to be. Right. But hey, Nick Meyer. Yeah, but we lost Brian Fuller, who knows Nick today's Meyer. television nah. really darn well. Nick Meyer tells a good mm-hmm. Star Trek story. I'm all right. Well, that's enough about Star Trek Discovery. Now let's find out what's been happening this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome back to Star Trek Online News. It's a relatively quiet one this week in terms of actual news, but there are a ton of events that will set us up for the month of December, and some hints from Cryptic about what might be to come in the new year. We had a new story blog this week, creatively titled Tales from K-13 Part 3. Ooh, inspired. It follows the arrival of a familiar character onto the newly recovered Starbase K-13. Ezri Dax, now captain of the Aventine, has been sent to the Starbase to assist with acclimatizing the temporarily displaced Klingons into a new time where they are not at war with the Federation. Her symbionts experience with the 23rd century Klingons as Curzon Dax gives her unique insight and an ability to communicate with the displaced warriors and hopefully stop them before they harm each other or us. Not much happens in the story outside of establishing some background for what could be a new storyline featuring the joined trill. Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, tweeted the following on the day the story blog was published, quote, in the recording booth, listening in on a new Star Trek voice actor for our anniversary. Can you guess who it might be? Question mark. End quote. Captain Gecko was coy as ever about the answer to that question, but the timing seems appropriate. Could we be seeing Nicole DeBoer, Ezri Dax from Deep Space Nine, joining the voiceover cast of Star Trek Online? Check back here sometime in January, when we're likely to hear more details about the upcoming 7th anniversary event. And speaking of Starbase K-13, the fourth of eight special unlocks for your fleet's Starbase K-13 holding is now live. Through the 22nd of December, completing the project Past Blasts will, according to the announcement, quote, place vintage gear on display in the retrofit engineering facility, end quote. And finally, in PC news, you may have noticed that a staple event from Q's Winter Wonderland was missing from the event queue, but you'll be pleased to note that in Thursday's patch, they added the snowball fight back in. 
Switching over to console news, there's a big event now on for any players who maybe had trouble getting up to the level cap or for players ready to try out a new character. Now through the 10th of January, all players will get double XP, that's right, double skill points and expertise throughout all of Star Trek Online on Xbox One or PlayStation 4. With any luck, this event could be a signal that a big release is coming up. Maybe we can finally expect to see Agents of Yesterday on our consoles in the new year. And finally, Star Trek Online has been shortlisted for an impressive three Reader's Choice Awards on the MMO gaming website, MMOsite.com. The three categories it's been nominated in are Most Classic Game, Best Expansion for Agents of Yesterday, and Best Innovation. Star Trek Online is up against some heavy hitters, including Destiny, Final Fantasy, World of Warcraft, League of Legends, and many more. To cast your vote, go to event.mmosite.com forward slash game prize. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. The category winners from this round will go on to a single elimination tournament to determine the overall Reader's Choice winner. Voting for round one closes on December 20th. Round two will then run until the 4th of January, with results expected on January 5th. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. Both PC and consoles get a special R&D pack promotion that runs now through the 5th of January. In both promotions, purchasing and opening a research and development pack through the C-Store will get you either 10 Lobby Crystals or a special prize pack in addition to the normal R&D materials. For PC, the prize pack contains your choice of a variety of Tier 6 ships, including the Krenum Time Ship, the Jem'Hadar Strike Ship, and the Tier 6 Constitution Class, among others. The special pack for console players sadly doesn't give you an option and only offers the Jem'Hadar Strike Ship, but it's nonetheless a great prize if you're lucky enough to pick one up. And finally, in Priority One Armada news, the Winter Screenshot competition is still running, open to all members, but be quick. It closes this Thursday, 15th of December. There are over 300 million EC worth of prizes up for grabs, so join any of the Priority One fleets today and submit your entry at PriorityOneArmada.com. As always, events are subject to change without notice. Be sure to keep your eye on the in-game calendars or listen in here at Priority One for more news and updates for Star Trek Online. Now, if you'll remember last week, we told you about a new Star Trek tabletop RPG that's currently in development. We sat down with its writer, Dayton Ward, and its developer, Nathan Dowdell, to find out more about Star Trek Adventures. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Well, Captains, we're really pleased to have on the show today Nathan Dowdell from Modifius Games and Dayton Ward, who's a best-selling author of numerous Star Trek novels and short stories, among other things. They are here to talk about the new Star Trek Adventures tabletop role-playing game, which we told you about last week. So, Nathan, Dayton, welcome to the show. Uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I guess we'll just uh, start off a little bit uh, just talking about what the game is. Could you give us a, an introduction to where the game's come about? And this is, uh, it's been quite a long time since we've had a new Star Trek tabletop game, hasn't it? It has been, yeah. Um, I think it's um, well over a decade since the last one uh, was in print. And obviously we haven't had a great deal of Star Trek, of new Star Trek since then, but there's still plenty of room for a new game in the the setting particularly as we've just had the 50th anniversary and we've got the the new series starting in the in the new year mm-hmm. um, so tell, oh, can you tell us a little bit about the the how the physical game is set up you know uh, what 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 you get in the box what the rule set is it's a as a role playing game it's not so much a box as a book and then obviously you'll have your, your dice and paper and pencils and counters for keeping track of things but they're separate to that gather what of those as you you require the intent is very much that the the group of players play as uh the senior staff slash bridge crew of a starship a star base something like that mm-hmm. with the gm setting them off on their various missions uh called down from on high uh, investigating strange phenomena, seeking out new life and new civilizations, and so forth. Yeah. Now, one of the staples of role-playing games is that it's kind of collaborative, right? Everyone gets around the table. Of course, the GM is God, but, you know, everybody else sort of works together. But Star Trek's typically very, you know, there's always the captain, there's always the first officer. How do you kind of merge those two things? 
I don't necessarily see there being a, there being that huge a difference when you you look at the shows. The the iconic captains never really rule over their subordinates. It's more like a, a first amongst equals type relationship where Kirk or Picard will be the one that gets the final say, but they will always listen to all the experts that work for them that you know command the different divisions on board ship who've all got their own. You know, years of expertise and their own skills and their own knowledge base. The captain can't make the right decisions without that sort of information. And in that regard, it's extremely collaborative. The captain can't do it all by themselves. So if you are playing with a group of people, how do you how do you decide who gets to be in one of those roles? Because um, now you have to forgive me. I am not a tabletop RPG player. I've, I've never done it before. Not that I wouldn't. I just never had the opportunity. So I'm a total, total newbie to all of this. If I was getting together with a group of my friends and we were playing one of the scenarios that that you set out in the like in the playtest, for instance, how would we decide sort of who's going to be your captain, who's going to be science officer or whatever, or, or or do you have to do that? Can it be everybody's at the same level? Um, it's entirely possible to handle it differently, and we'll be putting options in the rulebook for if you want to have everybody as equals, and then the GM controls the captain. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, in my in my own playtesting and the playtesting that I've uh, that we've done early on, it's been a simple matter of you know everyone's got their own favourite sort of role they want to carry out on board ship, their own you know, their own favourite sorts of characters. Not everyone will want to be the captain. Not everyone will want to be you know, a first officer or the chief of security or whatever. They'll help all come to some consensus as to who wants to do what. I know the, the games I've was running at uh, uh, I, well, the games I've been running at conventions, I've literally gone around the table with a list of the, with a, a stack of pre written characters and gone, who wants to be the captain? Yeah. Who wants to be the officer? Mm-hmm. Who wants to be chief security? And whoever calls it first gets it. In the finished game, there'll be a character creation chapter that lets people devise their own characters and when you do that as a group, you can figure out you know, your group dynamics, who's in charge, who's the, you know, who, who's running each department, and so forth. Okay. So actually, that raises a good question that I that I had. So you are at the moment you're in sort of a playtesting stage, and if you click onto uh, your website, um, there's uh, four different options for 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 things that people can sign up to playtest. Um, so it's kind of a two-part question. Number one, what's the difference between those four um, ships, I suppose? And is it is that going to be the same in the final product, or is it these just four scenarios that you're testing at the moment, and it'll be different when it gets to final? The playtest, mm-hmm. the four ships we've got are the USS Lexington, which is a, a, an original series-style Constitution-class starship. And then we've got... For kind of the next generation era of games, we've got the USS Venture, which is a galaxy class like the Enterprise D, mm-hmm. the, US, the USS Bellerophon, which is an intrepid class like the um, Voyager, like mm-hmm. and USS Thunderchild, which is an Akira class that appeared in, uh, briefly in Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. Each of the ships has a different focus and a different role within Starfleet, and thus they tend to receive different styles of missions and are expected to be better at different things. Okay. So uh, the Bellerophon is very much a, a science um, and exploration vessel. So it will receive uh, predominantly scientific missions. Mm-hmm. It will be a mixture of other missions as well, but science is its first responsibility. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Thunderchild, by comparison, is much more a crisis response and combat vessel. So it has more missions that involve fighting, more missions that involve... You know, emergencies and disasters. That does kind of actually lead into well, why Dayton is here because Dayton, now you are. I'm not entirely sure how your role fits into the development of the game. So you're a writer on telling the story of of what's going on in this game. Is that correct? Yeah, I I took a turn down the wrong dark alley one day <laughs> and ended up here. I was told about the game by uh, Jim Johnson, who's also working on it uh, in our writing capacity. He, t- he mentioned it to me back in the summer when we were at a convention together mm-hmm. and uh, passed my name on to Chris Birch uh, because apparently they were looking for writers. 
And the original idea was that I would contribute bits of fiction and the sidebar material and, and things that would kind of add flavor to, I assume, the rule book or uh, any other supplemental materials. And then all of a sudden, we had a Skype call one day, and the next thing I know, I've been asked to develop this storyline mm-hmm. that will drive the playtest. And so I kind of approached it like I would outlining a novel. And you know, I'm leaving as many options and doors open as possible for the folks who will be uh, developing the scenarios and the, the rules and all that sort of thing as we go. This is it's it's a learning curve for me. Yeah. Uh, it's a different kind of writing. I whether the scenario that we've developed for the playtest will be incorporated in the final game in any way. I I honestly don't know. That's not my call. Um, I'm just I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> what's the biggest What's the biggest difference between you know writing a, a novel, which is fairly well you know you can plot out where you want it to go, and then writing something like this? What's the biggest difference? Well, for me, uh, my natural inclination is to map out the story as much as possible for my own benefit, mm-hmm. so that I when I sit down to write the novel from the outline, uh, I, you know, I have all the, the major wickets figured out. I mean, I might vary the details or come up with a better idea on how to do something as I'm writing, but I at least have the roadmap mm-hmm. uh, from start to finish uh, with very few surprises as far as the plot. Yeah. In this regard, my, you know, I had to keep dialing it back a little bit. I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to explain everything because I wanted to leave options for the developers and the scenario writers. Uh, I didn't want to close off any doors. I didn't want to say, well, no, we've already figured that out. You can't do that. So mm-hmm. for me, it was more about leaving it, I guess, creating a template from everybody that could, everybody could build on or, or laying out a skeleton and letting everybody else throw the meat on it. Oh, it's <laughs> an interesting visual. Yeah, yes. thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was the big thing because that was, like I said, my natural, uh, did, you know, my natural go-to was, okay, I need to map out how we get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. In, in a logical progression, I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to tie the hands of anybody else who's writing the the scenarios that will drive the campaign. Mm. Uh, so it was, I mean, it was fun. It was a great learning experience. I've had a ball so far. So uh, Nathan, when you take, uh, when you give direction to an author like Dayton to, you know, come up with the scenarios, how how detailed did you get in with him? Was it something like we need to introduce people to the methods of the game because everybody knows Star Trek already? Or did you say, hey, we need to appeal to the tabletop players in general, so get people into the world as well? At this point, there's kind of two elements going on. On one side, we've got the rules of the game, which are going to be used either by people coming up with their own stories or by people using the scenarios that are being provided on our dating side of things. So the rules that I'm writing have to be... Yeah, and have to be able to work in either of those situations. But then we've got this this ongoing story that we're developing for the the playtest, and then for the the living campaign that we're running after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris and I and a couple of the other writers that have been in, in on this from the beginning brainstormed a number of early ideas, and I put down a, a basic, fairly rough draft of you know, what I thought would work as the the core of it, and then have let Dayton flesh it out with because that's much more his start, his type of writing than mine. Mm-hmm. Much more, much more an engineer than an artist. Okay, so you kind of gave him like you know here's here's the, uh, the 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 germ of the idea of what we intend for our players to be doing because this is the sort of stuff that lends itself to a tabletop environment. Go make that happen. To an extent, yes. I, what tends to lend itself to a tabletop environment is very much the opportunity for the players to explore their own things. Mm-hmm. So we wanted our own little corner of the setting that we could mess around with without bumping into the big events that are going on that are going right. on in the, sh- in the movies. Nothing would stop them from going to DS9, but you don't want to start them out there. Precisely, yeah. And can I clarify, this is set in the Prime Universe. <laughs> we haven't actually talked yeah. about that, but some people are very concerned. So this is Prime Universe. It doesn't include any of the um, Kelvin timeline stuff, does it? We haven't got the rights for anything that involved for anything in the Kelvin timeline okay. or dis- so we're just with the the, the the prime timeline. Okay, and can you give us any sort of hints or details about this story, or what kind of um, characters or people or scenarios that you'd expect to run into as a as a player? The, the core little area that we've developed uh, for the living campaign is uh, a little region of space just out shut between the Klingon and Romulan empires. Mm-hmm. The Federation have got a little starbase out there named for the Narendra system where uh, famously the Enterprise C sacrificed itself to save a, 
a Klingon colony from Romulan aggression. Mm-hmm. And so the Klingons and Starfleet maintain this, this station together. And it's this little unexplored region of space, out, yeah, just off to one side, out of the way, mm-hmm. um, its own set of mysteries. Yeah. The kind of characters they're likely to encounter, well, when you're creating your own characters, that offers almost limitless possibilities as to kinds of things you'll get up to. So, Are you going to have, like, a, you know, to, to borrow a phrase from another famous RPG, are you going to have a monster manual that's full of, you know, stock <laughs> Klingon warriors and Romulan spies and, uh, you know, Denebian bloodworms and all that kind of stuff? Well, a selection of uh, adversaries in the rule book and uh, more in various other books as the as those books content dictate. So we're likely to have, say, a selection of different non-player character Klingons in a book dedicated to the Klingons. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Are, are, are we? Are you gonna? You said no rights to the Prime Universe. I'm sorry, no rights to the Kelvin timeline. But in the Prime Universe, will we be seeing? A lot of you know. Will you be? Do you plan on adding in a lot of those sort of famous adversaries, the ones that you've seen from the show, Nausikans and all those kinds of stuff? Uh, we're going to add in as much as we've got space for. <laughs> okay, uh, and but it, that would, of course wouldn't stop a, a GM from making his own, you know, no. uh, his own character sheet, a character sheet for an NPC. Uh, there he is, but it's a fairly stripped down and min- minimized one compared to what a player will, a player character will have. So it won't take a great deal sure. to come up a Romulan scientist on the fly in the middle of a game. So, so like a Star Trek Rogues Gallery manual, basically. That'd be all right. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, you, behind door number one, you've got the, uh, oh, yeah. the worm. Behind door number two, it's the Mugato big uh, you know, uh, gorilla thing. You know, door number three. <laughs> hey, it's uh, it's it's a Boothby. Hey! Except he turns out to be Species 8472 and murders you. So. <laughs> I think we have to stick with the canon. So far, he hasn't been revealed to be anybody special. Um, I, think he's a, I think he's a Q, but that's just me. So. <laughs> The A four seven two masquerading as Boothby in Voyager turned up in Voyager. <laughs> yeah. It's there you go. It's canon. There it is. Boom. All right. I rewatched all of the series on uh, Netflix because they popped. They, they arrived on there in, um, over here in the UK uh, just as I started work on this project. So I've wait, done wait. my research. All of them. All of them. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and you can call it work too. That's yes. brilliant. Right, so um, let's talk a little bit about the playtest because uh, you're looking for people now to sign up and actually start playing through some of these scenarios. What what can somebody expect if they if they sign up for the playtest? Now, Tony, you've you've already signed up, haven't you? Yes, we uh, Priority One plans on having its own little playtest uh, within our little group. Uh, yeah. uh, so yes. Yeah, so we're going to do that. Um, what what can a, a new person coming in? What can they expect if they if they sign up for the playtest? So if you sign up for the playtest as a, a GM, you'll get your opportunity to pick the type, uh, pick the ship that you mm-hmm. want to run your group through. The first playtest pack doesn't involve any of the ships just yet. It mm-hmm. provides you uh, an introductory scenario to help you learn the, the basics of the system and help us try, help us get some of those elements of the system tested. Yeah. As well as a selection of twelve pre-generated characters that are freshly graduated ensigns from the academy, all headed out before they get assigned to their new ship. Brilliant. As the playtest goes on, you are getting feedback from the, uh, all the uh, now thousands of groups that have uh, signed up. We'll produce subsequent packs. We'll take into account your feedback and package in those updated rules and additional rules for things like the ships and for character creation later down the line. Mm. with new scenarios according to the ships that you've signed up for. And what kind of things can um, the feedback from the playtest affect? Will it affect elements of the storyline? Will it affect um, game mechanics primarily? What, what sorts of feedback are you really looking at closely? Right at the moment, the feedback I'm looking at most closely is all um, rules-focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scenario is there as a, an introduction rather than a major part of the, the ongoing storyline. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm looking at the rules to see what works, see what's not clear enough, see what could be improved upon. Okay. Uh, moving forwards, choices made in particular scenarios will impact future scenarios, and not just for the ship that you're on. Okay. Yeah, the the I've read through the original, uh, you know, the the baseline. Uh, test and I, I believe you when you say you watched all of the shows because I smell at least two, if maybe not three, Star Trek episodes coming straight off the page on that stuff. It's not by accident that all the examples of play in the uh, the main uh, rules text are straight out of the shows, except for one that's out of one of the movies. 
it's all right. So yeah, it's, it's this is definitely uh, if if you are a Star Trek fan, you will you will sense and see the touchstones uh, that are there. Now there's um, uh, moving on from the playtest. There was something else that I wanted to talk about, which was actually the miniatures that that will be coming out, but probably not right at launch. Am I correct in thinking that that you're developing a line of miniatures as well to go along with this? We are, yes. Um, I'm not 100% sure as to what the miniature range will contain at this point or when we release it, because that's not my uh, specific department. Yeah, well, you're you're you're, fo- you're focused on the rules side of things, yeah. aren't you? So it's not it's not something that's going to require having miniatures, but it will be a nice little addition. And I know that a lot of people are really into collecting all sorts of things. So on your website, there's a little preview of a couple of the figures that might be available soon. So um, I would encourage our listeners to go and check that out. Yes, the the Kirk and Picard that we've been showing off, we've actually had those as free giveaways at conventions. People signing up at those conventions. Oh right. Those represent an early form of the models, testing out some of the yeah some of the options, but one of the options for scale and material and so forth. So the final ones may not end up quite like that. They mm-hmm. might might be somewhat improved after getting some feedback. Uh, one of the other things that I do know will be happening is that one, you don't need the miniatures for the RPG itself. Yep. Uh, we will be including a small set of rules at the back of the, the main rulebook for what are essentially away team missions, where you can do a little skirmish battle between two little forces of uh, a Starfleet away team and a group of Klingon warriors or a, a, a unimatrix of Borg drones or something like that. Cool. So can you give us an idea of uh, when, when this is coming out, uh, the final version? So you're playtesting now, and the final version will be out next year, I think? The plan is to try and have it out by uh, Gen Con, uh, a huge uh, gaming convention in India, mm-hmm. next year. So that's mid to late summer. Okay. With leading up to that, a big uh, pre-order, um, where the more people pre-order, who sign up for the pre-order bigger the additional bonuses and benefits of pre-ordering get. Okay. And uh, because you mentioned that you've been going to some conventions and showing off uh, the game and, as you said, the miniatures, are you doing any any more conventions in the near future? I know it's kind of an odd time of year for it, but, um, you know, between now and Christmas or in January? Uh, I'm not personally, Mm -hmm. but the the main Modifius team and the Tempest Travel all over the place for various conventions. The most recent one we did was Dragon Meet in London. Yeah, this weekend's just gone at the time of recording, mm-hmm. uh, which was massively successful. I was inundated with people wanting to play, wanting to try out the game. Yeah, well, I know that. I, well, I said before, I'm not a, a big tabletop gamer, but I know that people who are tabletop gamers have been lamenting the lack of a new Star Trek RPG. I mean, it's it's been basically too long, especially since tabletop is really coming back into its own. I really, I mean, it's never been something that particularly appeals to me, and now all of a sudden, all like all of my friends are doing it, and I feel like I need to join in. So, yeah, it's it seems like... It, it's the hip and cool thing to do now. It really now, is. Now, Tony, I think in some circles, it will have always been the hip and cool thing to do. So, to some of us, it has always been the hip and cool thing, yes. It, well, exactly, but um, so it seems like it's a <laughs> it's a good time now to, to have something, um, especially since Star Trek is you know, in people's minds and also tabletop. So it's uh, it's really good. Uh, this is the part of the interview where we turn the microphone over to you and let you uh, say your final words, uh, Dayton and Nathan. Uh, so Nathan, you first. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to, to address? I think your questions covered what I, you know, what I need to, what I want and need to talk about for this. Obviously, if anybody out there hasn't yet signed up for the playtest, do so as as quickly as possible. The more feedback we get, the better we can make the final pro- product. And when will the uh, uh, the feedback be cut off? Is there a deadline that you're saying enough is enough, and now we go back to the drawing board and make our adjustments? I'll be making adjustments almost constantly throughout the process, um, but there is a point where we have to stop taking in feedback, start putting in art and laying everything out and sending it to the printers. I'm not sure on the specific dates of that. That's uh, That's for people above me to determine. Do you have an idea like is it spring or is that uh, after Christmas or what? Do you, do you, can no. you, do you even guess? We've only we're only in the midst of our first playtest pack at this point, so. Okay, a ways off. Okay, and uh, Dayton, how about you? Is there anything else that uh, any uh, any plugs? Anything else? Any other projects you're working on that we should check out or know about? <laughs> uh, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> no, I'm just uh, just to close out. I mean, I'm excited to be a part of it. I've uh, I I've, I've played. 
previous Star Trek RPGs. In fact, I I bought the first very first FASA box when it came out. Oh. You know, mumble mumble years ago. Old school. Uh, yeah. I'm old school, and um, my my fascination with this uh, version of the game is to watch the the campaign play out and watch the game evolve and watch how the developers respond to the feedback and make the game better. So that's what's that's what drew me in was the the evolving potential for the storyline to see what happens. So I'm excited. It's uh, it's a new kind of writing for me, but I'm I'm having a ball. As far as what I'm working on, it's everything. Uh, <laughs> everything. He's working on everything, everyone. <laughs> I will write for food, yes. Um, so I guess my last question to both of you is um, where can our listeners find out more about Star Trek Adventures? The main location would be modifius.com forward slash star dash trek. Okay. Um, and then, Dayton, do you have a, a personal webpage as well for some of your other projects? Oh, sure. I'm at uh, DaytonWard.com. That's sort of a portal to everything. It's a uh, blog, Facebook, Twitter, uh, my my platform, as my editor and publisher like to call it. So, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, your um, author platform. So, um, yeah, if, if you're curious about what I'm working on, you'll find all the, the details there. Okay. DaytonWard.com. Great, thank you. Well, thanks again to Nathan Dowdell and Dayton Ward for joining us on Priority One today. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 297's first community question was, what do you think about the new casting information from Star Trek Discovery? Our listeners took to the Twitter polls and exercised their right to vote and proved that Trekkies are both optimistic and patient. 46% of you are excited about the casting, while the rest, 54%, are taking a wait-and-see approach. Thanks to all of our participants. Remember to check back again this week for another poll. From Twitter, Jeff Lawson, at Lawson Jeff, tweeted... Good cast, though I don't think it sheds any light on the tone or quality of the show. Which is exactly what I said last week, so yes, Jeff Lawson, yes. From Facebook, Stephen Carville says, I'm super impressed by the casting of Michelle Yeoh, definitely high-caliber talent. If she's in it for at least the season rather than just the first episode, then this, to me, shows Discovery will clearly be part of a much larger, more integrated universe, and that is very exciting. Oh man, I didn't even think about that, about... Like, oh, th- th- she's just going to be in the first episode. No, time. no, we, we had that quote from earlier, and the guy's like, oh, hopefully maybe she'll be around for the second season. I, I think she's she's on for the whole thing. Because they, they could literally take a page out of Star Trek Online and be like, she's the captain, but she dies, and then the lieutenant <laughs> has to take, you know, take <laughs> command of the ship. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't think so. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Lucas Anderson wrote in, I'm pretty excited that the main character is a fungus scientist. From my life science friends, fungus is some weird stuff that we barely understand. So there are lots of sci-fi storytelling opportunities there. For example, the lead may not be thrust into command by the death of a captain, but rather because the captain may or may not have been hijacked by a fungus similar to the one that creepily hijacks ants that could inject some Battlestar Galactica-like paranoia into the show. I'm sorry, but anytime I think fungus, I'm just thinking Super Mario Brothers, the movie. <laughs> okay, not oh, even dear. the game, just oh, the movie. Yeah. Yes, a fungus is something you bounce on top of to get to a higher, you know, platform or consume to double your size, right? I mean, that's that's what fungus. Th- that, is. That's not even what happened in the movie. Did you see the movie with John Leguizamo? And- no, nobody saw the movie, Elijah. Nobody oh, saw the movie. Nobody you saw have the movie. To watch that movie. You have to watch. That. Do I need even a bunch of mushrooms first? Bob Hoskins. Is that Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo? Yes, it was. Wow. You have to watch that movie. Okay. Oh, please. I'm not gonna do that. But it's I would. I would like to point out, though, that Lucas Anderson has actually given us the link to an article about this fungus that hijacks ants and makes them into zombie ants. This we're going to totally thing. include that in the show notes. Yeah, no, uh, I've in read case this anyone, before. Yeah, in case anyone would like to read further about the zombie ants. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, RTK142 says, I think the casting so far has been good. Doug Jones was one of the gentlemen in Buffy's Hush, considered one of the best episodes of the series. I'm not familiar with Rap or Yo, but from what I understand about them, it should be interesting. I'm a bit disappointed here that Brian Fuller won't be involved, but I do continue to have hope. And his name is Nick Meyer. He, he didn't say that part. Either, that was, but, that's, that's, <laughs> that was, but I made it. That was Tony I, editorializing. I smoothed that it right in there. It was really smooth. I, the lead-in was right there. I took it. 
And that brings us to our second community question. If you could have anything from the Phoenix Prize Pack in Star Trek Online, what would it be? Marques commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'll take all the uncommon packs I can get. Doing the dilithium rate math, the Phoenix upgrades are equal to or perhaps just a tad better than superior tech upgrades, so it's a win. I'm lucky enough to have already most of the ships, except for the Jem'Hadar bug ship, and the red matter capacitor is pretty much outdated now. Yay for power creep. Great show, everyone. I still use the red matter capacitor. Like, on, I, I have my oh crap bar, right? And I, I that, that launches in the oh crap bar. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad thing. I, I there's some builds I keep it on, and it, yeah, it's it's no crap button. I've never used it. From Twitter at Captain Revo, I wanted the tier five Jem'Hadar ships so I could use them on my carrier, but doesn't look good on that happening. From the Star Trek Online forum post, Tyler Maxwell says, I'm crossing my fingers for a Voth Dreadnought, you know, just to have one, but I'm really waiting for a few things that aren't, but really should be, in the box. Some of the old triple testing reward DOFs, for instance, maybe even the original EMH bridge officer, uh, or the old veteran bridge officers from the free-to-play currency conversion. Basically things that haven't been obtainable in any way for a long time. Yes, there was the original Android bridge officer from the free-to-play conversion, uh, I do remember those triple, triple testing DOFs. Those are actually really nice. They should bring those back somehow. Yeah, they got, they got, they can go back to the locker anytime they need a uh, dilithium sink or a uh, shot of Zen. They can go back to this. Yeah, that's that's the important part about this Phoenix Prize Pack is that if they, if they test the mechanic, if it was if it was successful for them as a as a mechanic for driving a bit of you know dilithium sink and a bit of zen for them then uh there's a probably a whole bunch of stuff that could be rotated in and out depending on what they need at what time so it's a good thing it's a good thing well captains that wraps up episode 298 of priority one podcast but before we go here's our community question for this week what do you think about the news that Brian Fuller has fully departed from Star Trek Discovery? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights at around 10 p.m. Eastern at priorityonepodcast.com forward slash live. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to priorityonearmada.com and sign up today led by our fearless Michael Winters McDonald. This episode of Priority One Podcast is sponsored by our patrons through Patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria De Post, Gavin Lawarn, and a new member of our team, Nial Fernandez. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. This is Elijah, Trek it out, sync one. This is Kenna, twerk it out, sync two. <laughs> this is Tony, let's not start that. Sync three. <laughs> but, you know, Meyer, Meyer does this. I mean, this, and that's one of the reasons, cat. yeah. It's one of the reasons why I'm really interested. You can hear the cat? Yeah. I mean, I, I can get a Nerf gun and shoot it. That's about my option at this point. Oh, oh okay, all right. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, Do you have any duct tape? Uh, Look around you. I, See if you can fashion some kind of rudimentary lathe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a lathe? You want me to like skin my cat or like you know? No, 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 no. I don't. Okay. No, don't use a lathe on the cat. Okay, that all right. Just, okay. That was. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like the cat is in the room with you. It's she's just not. She, she's behind a closed door, but she is not wow. moving from behind that closed door. She is a stubborn little cat. Okay, you know what? Here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna open the door and let her in. And if she keeps meowing, I'm gonna kick her right back out. Hang on, one second. Hang on. She's gonna keep meowing. No, but she might just want to. She probably just wants a cuddle. So she shut up as soon as I let her in. So we'll see if that we'll see if that stays. Okay. So what I was saying, um, <laughs> when it first came out, when, when the movie came out, uh, it was like you're saying, just cool. Shut up, cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this isn't gonna work. Well. <laughs> oh God! Good night, kitty. Good night, kitty. This is a song that doesn't end. Yes, it all right, all right, stop singing. Stop, just stop okay, it. Just stop, just stop. Thank God, because actually God. I was getting annoyed listening to myself. I was, yeah, well, you and me both, sister. Uh, <laughs> that was rude. Yeah. That was rude. <laughs> Let me describe in detail the scratch my cat gave me as I brought her upstairs. It's about an inch and a half long. Here it we did go. Break the skin. Get, okay. Now I'm going to get the medical invoice from. Did the, you get the Neosporin on that? Mm, no, no, I'm I'm bleeding for the team. I'll I'll, I'll patch okay. up during the break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Hold <laughs> on a second. No, I'm not going to take it there. Yeah. You know what? Go on. You know what? Bleed for the team. Go on stage when you're ready to pass out. How about them apples? Hmm? Okay. <laughs> we all we all give and we all sacrifice for this show. Okay. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go on. world's getting wavy hurry up ultimately ultimately (laughs) yo i quit man i quit i'm out for tonight man (laughs) oh god we're we're in segment two we got like ultimately the ultimately the fear is that cbs is oh man (laughs) whoa that was an evil laugh Mine is an evil laugh. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately. <laughs> is that what it sounded like? Because that's what your like. sudden and it's ultimate betrayal. <laughs> yes. Ezri Dax, now captain of the Aventine, has been sent to the. I should read these things. <laughs> Ezri Dax, now captain of the Aventine, has been sent to to the starbase to assist with acclimatizing what acclimatizing is that a word yes acclimatizing the temporarily acclimatizing the temporarily displaced acclimatizing acclimatizing the temporarily 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 god okay temporarily so we're gonna so I'm gonna I'm gonna back off here we go there we go shush no, stop, stop. Tony, stop. Stop it. Stop it. Go back. Control Z. You control Z right now, Tony. I did. You control, control Z right Z. now. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Okay. Ezri Dax, now captain of the Aventine, has been sent to the Starbase to assist with acclimatizing the temporarily displaced Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> I left it there. It's all right there. Come on. That was pretty good. <laughs> no, but it will, it'll work. No. It'll work. Keep going. Acclimatizing? Acclimatizing, right? Yeah, acclimatizing. Okay. Would it help if I put a Z in there instead of an S? Um, no, no. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the S. It's not the I-Z. It's the entire work. Me a, 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 <laughs> it's the entire work. <laughs> Just for the record, I cut out two assists for the acclimatizing and put the word help. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and the assistant, I put it back. Just for the record. Stop, 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 stop.
I got this. I got this. <clears throat> I will not let words get in the way. Ezri. <laughs> Stop. Bring it, bring it in, bring it in. Jesus Christ! Okay. I got this. You can do it. Stop! 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 Okay. Stop! Serious now. It's late, and we have to get to bed, yeah. and we have children Clearly and we have to and, get to bed. and responsibilities. Responsibilities. Okay. Ezri Dax, now captain of the Aventine, has been sent to the... You're good, you're fine. I got this, I got this. Look, first of all, last week, y'all gave me the words with the pronunciations because I'm Latino, and you're like, oh, he'll just Latinoize that. And this week, you must, I get... You must admit it to work wonderfully. I get acclimatizing temporally and symbionts. Climatizing okay, so... the temporally displaced Klingons and her symbionts experience. Is that what you mean? All right. I'm. I was no. I was. I was just saying the words <laughs> that you gave me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The words. You mean the Eng the English words, like totally normal English words that I. Gave well, you. but they were spelled in the British way, which is weird, and they all came together, which was kind of a mouthful. Yeah, and I know. I get said, it. Yeah. Help. Yeah, it's like super hard. Yeah. I hate you all. Switching over to console news, there's a big event now for any players who have maybe had trouble getting up to the level cap. Oh, don't mind me. I'm just reading ahead. So that <laughs> Dude. Podcast foul he's, there. He's, he's, look, he's looking for hard words. Acclimatizing temporarily displaced Klingons. The rain you know, in Spain like, that's mainly falling on the plane. It's like, can you handle like expansion and innovation? Uh, I hate you. <laughs> Yay! Oh, okay, can we please hit stop? Everybody hit stop. <laughs>